Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crosstown. Welcome to Seven Days of Prayer. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's, we designate a couple times throughout the year where we just seek the face of God and the heart of God. We already know that he, we have that heart of God, but he invites us to, to seek him. And, and what we do is for seven days, we pray. We meet here at the church at 6 o'clock in the morning. We open up at 5.45, have coffee ready for you if you want to join us. And we just, we pray and seek God's face. We do it Monday through Friday. And then on Saturday at 9 o'clock, we meet here and, and just kind of have a close it all out with prayer together. Let me encourage you, if you've got the time to be able to do that, join us here at Crosstown. But we also will have it online via Facebook YouTube, and any other known media site that we will get this out to you so that you can be eating your Cheerios and watch along with us. But we also want you to avail yourself of the opportunity to get something prayed for on your seat when you came in and also up at our um, expressions table. We have a prayer request card for you. Fill it out. Leave it with us today. Put it in the offering basket in the back or at the guest services or just pin it to the cross. And then what we'll do is throughout the week, we'll just lay these prayers out and we will be praying over every single one of your requests. You also can send in a prayer request via online. So don't let the seven days go by without you either being involved in it or allowing us to bring your name and your family and the things that concern your life before the Lord. Also, in just a couple of weeks, in just two weeks, we'll be starting our Transform series. Now, this is an immersive series, which means that we're not just preaching on Sunday morning about being transformed, but we've created small groups just for this that will be doing just transformed. We have a journal that you can purchase that will follow along with all the sermons and with all the small group discussion so that you can immerse yourself for the eight weeks that we do this with transforming discipline, habits, and the word of God. And we invite you all to be a part of it. We have a kiosk in the back. And we have people who are back there ready to help you with that and to sign up for it. We, we just invite everybody to be a part. You have a card on your seat that actually has a QR code. If at any point my sermon gets boring, and I dare you, I bet if, if at any point you uh, just scan that QR code and allow it to take you to our resources and where you can sign up, where you can find small groups, where you can understand what it is that we're accomplishing. Why we're doing it? We're doing it because over the last two years, we've gotten kind of scattered in our heads. And we need a renewal of the principles of God, a renewal of focus, a renewal of purpose in our lives. And what we're doing is bringing us back to the word of God in the middle of a, a changing times, we want to bring ourselves to a place of certainty in our walk with God. And we invite you to be a part of it. So please don't leave today without either hitting that QR code or going back to our kiosk and, and getting your book and signing up for a small group. So last week, we started talking about Marty McFly and Back to the Future. And it wasn't just a shameless excuse for me to, to uh, bring up one of my favorite movies of all time, but rather we saw how important our past is. And if we had control over our past, how we could manipulate the past in such a way that it could fuel or energize or direct our present experience and also our future experience. 
But what we discovered is that God is inviting us to learn from the past, to learn from time experiences, because he has the ability to bring redemption, hope, fulfillment, and future to all of our historical moments. One of the most powerful elements you ever discover in your faith with God is the awareness of God moving in time with you. That's really big for me. I mean, it's really important for me to know that God is moving in time with me as a person. Too often I feel like God is working from home. Or he's, you know, in the COVID time, we've got this working from home where you don't really have to go into the office. You just kind of log in via some portal. And and, and that's really is, isn't that the kind of language that we may use even with God, like a portal type of presence of God, that God moves into the portal and he comes out of the portal. But God's up on his throne someplace, an old guy, you know, his back is hurting and he's kind of really, you know, angry and he just doesn't want to mess with humans, but he's kind of operating remotely and and he's just kind of checking in once in a while. But when you have an awareness that God is moving in the elements of time, it becomes really powerful. It's one of his coolest attributes. It's this idea that he's not only aware of time, but he created time, he plans time, and he works in time. I mean, you can't, I don't think you can have a monopoly on a concept, a product, a theory, an idea more than creating the idea, planning the idea, and then working the idea. And that's exactly what time is to God and his relationship with time. So I was reading this week and I was looking for a verse to, get a, to, to grab a hold of, you know, because we just came out of 2021, 2020, 2019, and, and whatever life experiences that you have. And sometimes, if you're like me, I'm like, God, what are you really up to? Okay, I mean, it's like, I, I really know, need to know that you're involved in time somehow. And so I, I was kind of looking for a verse that showed that God has some sort of leverage over time, that he has some sort of hold on what's going on. So I found a verse, and I'm not going to break the verse down, but I'm just going to read it to you real quickly. And the reason why I read this verse was because I saw all these references to time in it. And time is really important to me right now. It's, I, I think when you look at the flow of society and life and COVID and, and family and all the other challenges that we have, you, you kind of wonder, is anybody really in control anymore? I mean, is, is the White House in control? Are our doctors in control? Is, is, is democracy, you know, in control? I mean, is China in control? And, and, you know, am I in control of what's going on in my life? So I've had this real desire to know about, okay, is God in control of time? Because it just seems like we're standing at the pit of an hourglass and sand is falling on our heads and we're getting buried by the times and the experiences that we're living in. So I, I was looking for one about time. And this one is so Star Trekian. I mean, it's got time travel built into it. It's got, I mean, I love it. It appeals to my sci-fi mind, but it's also very true. And it comes to us out of Ephesians chapter one, I think it starts in verse three, and, and, it, and it reads this way. And I want you to just land on the time references. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. 
whoa, you know, I mean, before the foundations of the world, it's like McFly, what are we talking about? You know, because we have this mentality that we're in the middle of the fix of God for time. You know, the redemp- we tend to classify redemption as God's plan B because it all got screwed up in the beginning. And, and some atheists have argued, well, if God's in control, then why did he lose his first man and his first woman in the garden? Well, my thing is he is very much in control and is very much aware of the fact that he was not going to lose his first man in the garden. They were just going to discover that they are incredibly human. And before the foundations of the world, God had already established a way back to him. It's like, what? I mean, that's, that's pretty cool to God. Um, then he continues, it says, in him, he predestined us. A really t- interesting time word that we've messed up theologically. But he predestined us to the adoption of sons. You can put daughters there as well. Sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his free will. Huh. How do you use time? I won't land long on this, but God uses time for the expression of his kind intention. So, you know, we're standing in the middle of this and we're kind of thinking time is harsh, it's cruel, it, it, it's debilitating, it's, it's short, it's lacking. And then we find out that God's like, no, I'm using time, but I'm using it for the purpose of my kind will. It's like, okay, I, I need to discover that in time. He predestined us to adoption through his son, Jesus Christ, to himself, according to his kind intention, to the praise, the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And then listen to this, he really gets into the time talk. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, again, that pops up, which he um, proposed and uh, purposed, purposed in him with a view of an administration suitable to the fullness of times. Now, that's a mouthful. I've been having a hard time reading it. The administration suitable to the fullness of times. What does that mean? It means that he created time with a purpose, is executing that purpose, and there will be a fullness of that purpose in time. It's like time is not just fate. It's not chance. It's not random. It's not just the clicking of the clock, but rather that God is administering his kindness in time, in the fullness of time, in the parentheses of beginning and end. In the middle of it, there is God wanting to work his kind intention to people's lives. And he's administering this in the middle of time. That is, and here's another time phrase, the summing up of all things, whether past, present, or future. The summing up of all time and things in heaven and on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things, and you could put in time, after the counsel of his will, to the end that we were the first to hope in Christ and would be the praise of his glory. See, this idea of election, predestination, us choosing us before time is not like some universal divine determinism. 
Like God's, God's causing evil to happen, God's causing these people to save and these people not to get saved in some sort of like a theological way that God uses time. But rather what it's showing is that before we made our first mistake, God already predestined, controlled the framework of time to provide us with a path to get back to him. He organized the ride so that after you've done all your roller coaster thing, because that's a predetermined path, after you've driven all of it, it comes down and all of a sudden your ride comes in and you've thrown up your guts and you know, you're just like your eyes are white because you can't believe that it went upside down three times and he comes in and all of a sudden God's there and that little bar opens up. It's like, thank you, be careful getting out of your car. But this is where I wanted you to end up, that God is in complete control of it. And that's what God wants us to know about words like choosing and predestined that he's already got this thing written, wrote out this plan. He's administrating a way for you to have a relationship with him. And it's all summed up in Christ. What I've learned is that I am pardoned in the past, I am powered in the future, and I'm preserved, I mean, in the present, and I am preserved in the future. That's God's control over time. There's nothing random about that. Now, in the middle of it, I may feel like, you know, my canoe is bobbing and, and things seem to, you know, when you're trying to canoe and the thing starts spinning and you're arguing with your spouse and the kayak and they won't paddle and the ca- kayak starts going crazy and you may think that you're totally out of control. But what I find in scripture is that when you're in those moments and you discover what God is really doing with time, it's not as random as it may appear. I wrote it this way for myself. God's blessings predate our sin. God's invitation predates our response. And God's redemption predates our getting lost. It's like, oh my goodness, what a setup. You know, what a usage of time to arrange it all so that it is God calling us back to himself and providing us in the middle of our choices to choose whether or not to be a part of the summing up of all time and to be a part of what kinds and kind intention. And what that tells me is that no matter what place you are on your personal timeline, you can't ever exhaust the grace of God. That in any place on your timeline, God is there. So this description of time is really cool, and I would call it the meta-narrative view of time. Um, It's kind of like zoomed out. And we're looking at how God's using time as if we were standing outside of it, looking at it. So that's why it uses language like it uses. But what about the perspective from in time? What about my time? I was born in 1959. There is a date that the Lord knows that I will exit this earth. And it's like, well, what about my time? Is God moving in my time, in personal time? I see big picture time. It's like, yeah, there's going to be heaven. Yay. You know, and the, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. Yay, that's great. But I'm in West Ashley right now. And, um, you know, I'm in my 60s and I'm kind of like, what are you doing with me now? Or what are you doing with the people of Charleston right now? Or you may be 17 or, or 13 or wherever you are in life. And it's like, is God personally my time? And, and I don't want to sound rude here. It's like, we can all open the Bible and see Jesus. All right? You know, I know half of you are like, oh my gosh, 
He's going to go after Jesus. No, I'm not going after Jesus. But it's like the thing. We know that Isaiah prophesied Jesus. We know David prophesied Jesus. We know the prophets prophesied Jesus. And we can see where he was born and, and what he was going to say, what he even would say in his death, and then on the third day that he would rise again. We, we know indelibly that the life, the personal life of Jesus was all written and scripted into the, the, the Bible, and, and it's there. But what about me? And, and now I understand that that cross, that everything is summed up in that cross. I understand everything about Jesus secures my life. But if I could just have a moment as one of the regular human beings on this planet, it's like, does God know what I'm going through? Does he know what kind of time I'm having right now? So I went looking for a story that was incredibly personal. Uh, and I found one. It was a guy named Moses. And what we're going to see in this story of Moses is uh, we're going to see what I kind of put into categories of the, the dawn Moses, the day Moses, and the dusk Moses. Um, it's kind of like different phases of his life. Because we tend to think of God as like, oh, God's going to do a great thing in my youth. God's going to do a great thing in that young adult's life. And, but what about at every stage of life? Is God really interested in us when we're, when we're 60 or when we're 80? Or uh, is he interested in us when we're children and we're little kids? Is he interested in our lives? So I'm going to read you this account of Moses, and I'm going to focus on the time words. And I'm not going to do this in a very technical kind of way. I mean, like I could break out some Hebrew or Greek words and try to say, well, what the original writer meant here and all that stuff. And that would be cool, and there are times to do that. What I'm asking is that the timeless one, but the one who is in time, the Holy Spirit, would be here today. And as I go through the story and I pull each verse and I say a time reference, I'm asking God that he would speak to you through that time reference. Because these time references are really powerful and they're really personal. And it made me so happy to read this because I discovered that this great God in heaven was very personally involved in time on a personal level, and whether it's Moses' life or in my life. So let me just set the story up. God promised Abraham his, uh, uh, that his offspring would be a great number of people and that they would have the promised land. You're, you may be familiar with that part of the story. Things get a little squirrely like life normally gets. Uh, they end up in captivity and they find themselves in the place of Egypt. And, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know, it's not going, they're making bricks and building um, uh, things for the Egyptians. So let's pick up the story of Moses. As the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. As time of the promise was approaching, I thought this was an interesting phrase. Um, what it, I visualize as a fisherman in the Charleston area, and I like to fish in the estuaries, what I'll do is I'll go in the Ashley River or the Wando River or the Stono River, and then I'll pull over to the side into the reeds and I'll start fishing for redfish in the reeds. But what I'll notice sometimes while I'm doing that is that there's things going down the river. You know, you'll see like a, a piece of wood will go floating down the Stono River or somebody's dock will go down, you know, a couple Bud Light cans will be bobbing on the way down the river. And, 
And, and so what happens is, is that where you are in your particular life, you might not realize that the promises of God are very much buoyant. They have not sunk to the bottom. They are very much still moving on the river of time. But it's interesting that it says here that at the time of the promise was approaching. And I wanna just encourage you that right now you may not see that object floating down the river of your experience. But the promises of God are still buoyant and are still floating and that their appointed time will arrive at your life. Don't give up on them just because you don't see them in the river of your time at this particular moment. There was a time that was promised Abraham and God and God alone knew when that time was going to bob its way down the, the timeline and then finally arrive at that place. And that's exactly what happened. Then speaking of that king that rose up that didn't know Israel or Joseph, it says, and it was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers, the Israelites, so that they would expose their infants and would not survive. What had happened was they were concerned about this deliverer rising up, so, so this king of Egypt, Pharaoh, whatever kind of political title he had, said that all the sons under the age of two would be thrown into the river of time and they were drowned because I can't have anybody growing up in time that will oppose me. So they had to take their sons and turn them over to the Egyptians and the Egyptians killed the children. This is what the scripture referred to as a time of exposure. Have you ever been in a time of exposure? When everybody knows your crap when everybody knows what you did wrong, when it's just out there floating on the river. And it says that they were, were in this time of exposure when, when it was just there. And maybe today the Holy Spirit is like, that's your word, exposure. You're feeling exposure right now in front of everybody. You've been exposed or maybe you know, um, when you're a young guy, I remember when I was young, young, when I was like 10, all my aunts would be, oh, he's so tall. He's the only one with blue eyes. Oh, he's going to be so handsome. You know, he's going to be, you know. And, and I remember when I was 20 and I started lifting weights and all that stuff, I started looking okay. And it's like, oh, look at him. He, Paul's gotten so tall. He's so handsome. You know, it's a, and then all of a sudden you get to a point in your life when all of a sudden you're exposed. You're really not that impressive. You know, you're really, so there you are, Paul. Is that what you've grown up to be? You know, you look like your father. I see a little bit of your mother in you. And it's like all of a sudden you're exposed. Everybody knows what your weakness is. is. Everybody knows what you are. I would, I would say that this is something that happens between like 40 and 60. Is that all those plans that you were going to do, and you were going to be famous, and you were going to be the next, uh, you know, uh, um, Elon Musk, or you were going to be starting the next Facebook, and you were going to be this, and you were buying all your, your coins, Doge coins, and all this other stuff, and, and you're just going to be the next thing, and all of a sudden, you get to that point in your life where it's just exposed. It's like, yeah, you're just a guy that struggles with alcohol. Um, you got a really nasty little porn habit. 
you're not really that good of a father. Um, you're not really going to be all that much. And, and, and I'm not saying, you know, that's happening to everybody. But there is a point in life when you get exposed for being just you. And your weaknesses, people know what they are and all that. What do you do in a moment like that? Because it happens to all of us. Well, let's just continue with the story. Um, so, it says that they were exposed. Next verse. It was at this time that Moses was born. Okay, now it doesn't mean at this time that on the timeline that Moses was born. It was no. It's at this time. At the time of your exposure, your deliverance is born. Meaning that God will never allow you to be exposed without at the same time providing you a way of escape. But have you seen that in the time of exposure? God uses time. He knows all of us are going to fail. He knows we're all going to make mistakes. Everybody's going to, we're all going to be exposed for sometimes the frauds that we may be. I mean, that's why people don't want to go to church. It's because they got to pretend that there's something that they're not. I hope you don't feel that way at Crosstown because I'm not pretending. I'm exactly the way that I am. You're like, dang. You know, I mean, how does that guy live in his own head? Well, because in my own head of exposure, I also know of another verse. At that time, Moses was born. Meaning the plan of God is born in the moment of our exposure. At the worst time of your, your worst sin, your worst compromise, that's not the end of your life. That's when redemption becomes incredibly valuable for you. You don't even just, you don't have time for the gospel or, or the Bible or scripture or God when you aren't exposed. See, one of the greatest things that God's ever done is expose me because it was only when I was exposed that I saw how weak I really was. It was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. I, I think that's interesting that the Bible kept track of how long Moses was being nurtured at home. It says, and after he had been set outside, meaning they took him, put him in a little basket and put him in the river, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. I think it's interesting that God even knows the three months of a life of a baby, no matter how long that baby lived. So if you're here and you were exposed because you did not get to delight more than three months in the life of your child, God knows. God absolutely, utterly knows. And even in that horrific pain, there is redemption that is born for you. Don't miss this redemption. Don't miss it. If you're here and you only spend three months in your mother and father's care and you've got put into foster care and you were raised in a foster home and you went from foster home and three months in that foster home and three months in that foster home and then two years in that foster home and then back into another place, God wants you to know, I knew every trip you took. And also this, Moses took the same trip and wait until you see how his life turns out. God knows three months of a baby's life 
the God of the universe? Maybe he's not so far remote as we may think he is. After this, it said, this exposure, that he was nurtured in Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him. Let me offer hope to parents. Just because your hour of nurturing may pass with your child, whether it happens at 18 as they go off to college, or maybe you're like me and you went through a divorce and you had to share custody of your child with your ex-spouse. And that child goes from house to house, back and forth for Christmases and vacations and summer and all this. Know this, just because you don't get to nurture or maybe you didn't nurture well for that three months, God's not finished with that child. Your season in nurturing might have been just a total mess up. Maybe you found out that you really were a jerk of a dad or a lousy mom. And you're like, I messed up my kid. My kid's screwed because of me. It's like, no, 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 relax. Just because your three months didn't go well doesn't mean that God is finished with that child. And just draw hope from that. So Moses being raised, and the next thing we, we find, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians and was a man of power in words and deed. Ah, good times. See, this is the good times that we know make a great life. It's all uphill for Moses from this point on. He increases in affluence and education because after all, that's what you need to do in order to make your impact in time. We would assume, as he did, that this was his time. This is it that he needed, had everything he needed to make it happen in his life. But the scripture says, but when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being mistreated unjustly by an Egyptian, he defended the Israelite and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down or killing the Egyptian. Wow, isn't that a 40-year-old for you? I know exactly what America needs. I know exactly what this family needs. I now have all my education, I have all my wealth, I have my influence and my power. It's like, this is my moment. This is the most important moment in my life. Scripture says and gives us a little bit of insight to what was going on in his mind. It said, and Moses supposed that his brethren understood that God granted them deliverance through him, but they didn't understand. See, we think we know everything at 40, that that's the magical time, isn't it? That's the way we treat it in America. We think everybody should get it, you know? Like the Joker in the, one of the first Batman. Wait till they get a load of me. I mean, it's like at 40, it's like everybody's going to get how amazing I am, how awesome I am. You're, you're going to get it. And, and, and I remember when we started Crosstown years ago that when we came West Ashley, and I'm just going to be honest with you because, you know, I've already been exposed. 
I, I remember there's some great churches in Charleston. Two of the greatest are, at least in my mind, are Northwood Assembly uh, up in the north area that started us and started Seacoast and Seacoast. Seacoast, amazing church, absolutely amazing church. If you, if you don't want to come here, go to Seacoast. Absolutely amazing church. I mean, I love them. They're incredible. But you know, and I, 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 I would say I'm going to get emails about this, but nobody at Seacoast is listening to me. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's like, okay, so he's about like this tall, Greg Surratt, amazing man of God, amazing. Influencer, innovator, administrator, pastor, amazing. Doesn't have a lot of hair, okay? So I'm like, well, if that's what a short, balding guy can do, where do they get a hold of me? Just approaching 6'2", and a full head of hair. Creative beyond bounds. I will use science and arts and literature and movies and Disney in ways that no pastor before me has used. And I have told, I can tell you, what a wake-up call I have gone through. Now, Greg Surratt's story, an amazing man of influence that I could only but learn from what he's done. But there's a point in your life when you get exposed, at, when you think you got it all going on, and you think everybody gets you, and nobody gets you. And we think we know how to move the vision or the, the project forward. And that's exactly what happened to me. And that's what happened to Moses. He thought, I got it. This is my time. Move out of the way, you Bible Belt pastors. We got this innovative, creative pastor coming in. And it's like, oh, the poor little man. He doesn't know what he's thinking. Oh, you know, and that's exactly who I was. So full of myself not to know that I needed so much less of me and so much more of God. It almost makes me cry. But, but the reason why it doesn't make me sad is because in the day of exposure, Moses was born. In the day of my exposure, the plan of God is, a, is revealed to me for those of us who want to see it. So on the following day when he was supposing how awesome that everybody would realize he was and how he was going to deliver them from the Egyptians, he appeared to them as they were fighting together. And, they tried to recon and he tried to reconcile them. Two, two Israelites were fighting, and he tried to get them to stop fighting each other. And he says, men, you are brethren. You know, he kind of had like one of those jackets with his thumbs in there, you know, like, men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, pushed Moses away, and said, who made you a ruler and judge over us? You aren't what you think you are. You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? And Moses is like, and that's when the camera goes, it says, at this remark, Moses fled. Okay? What do you do when you're exposed? What do you do? Most of us run. Most of us run. 
We'll run from our family. We'll run from our marriage. We'll run from, you know, run from church. We'll just run. Let me ask you, what remark has ever been made to you by your father, a teacher, a pastor that has made you run? That you shouldn't be running from. But Moses began to run. It says, Moses fled and became an alien in Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Okay. He was thinking his Lincoln, I can't believe that thing still exists, but his Lincoln account was going to say Air Force Academy, helicopter pilot, it's Bronze Star, you know, innovator of, invented the uh, M1 chip for, for Apple, you know, all these different things all the way down, and he was going to be something famous, pastor of the largest church in, in the southeast, Sahara Desert, you know, whenever he thought it was just going to be just like, and here's his resume, and Moses fled, and he was the father of two sons. See, this is what happens when you find out that all of us are just regular, okay? We're just regular. We live in a country that does not celebrate regular people. You gotta be astounding. You gotta be amazing. You gotta get a million followers. You gotta get a million hits on your Instagram. You've gotta get a bunch of likes in, in our society. And here's Moses. All this plan was worked out for his life and he runs and he becomes regular. Um, but even bigger than that, let me ask you this. How often do we let what we did yesterday make us run? Okay, because that's what Mo Moses killed the guy yesterday and he's running the, the day after. Okay, so you committed adultery. Okay, are you on the run? Okay, so you've, you failed at your job. Are you on the run? So you sucked as a parent. Are you on the run? You fell off the wagon. Are you on the run? See, it really matters what happens to us when, we dis when we're exposed. That's the difference. That's the only thing I'm really good at is when I'm exposed, I look for the Moses to be born in my life. I look for the deliverance in the bad moment. Moses thought he was somebody special. His aunts and his cousins had been telling him all of his life. Moses discovers that no one thinks he's special. And he discovers that everyone else knows what he did. And Moses runs. So are you running away from your marriage because of what you did? Are you running away from your kids? Are you running away from God because you screwed up? Now, I know most churches are really invitational for the, for the victim. And, and it should be, for those who have gotten cheated on, for those who have gotten cheated, those who have been molested and have done wrong, um, those who were left behind. But where does the culprit go to church? Where does the dirtbag go to church? Right here at Crosstown, okay? Because Running will wear you out and you'll never discover what God wants to do in your life if your only response to yesterday and its mistakes is that you run. See, he thinks God's vision for his life ended with, with the life of this Egyptian he hid in the sand. 
He thinks his God moment is over. He thinks that God has no time for him. He thinks it's done. The story continues because God is still acting in time in Moses. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. Wow. Moses lets a lot of time go by. God lets a lot of time go by. Dude, you're in your 40s. You got to do it now. You got to hit it now. You got to make a name for yourself now. If it's going to happen with God, you got to do it now. The guy becomes 80 years old. And he's pushing sheep, not even his own sheep, his father-in-law's sheep around the desert. You can imagine that this guy would think, man, things didn't really turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're living in the wilderness of thinking that he's done with me. Since my divorce, since I cheated, since I, my problem with alcohol, since whatever it is that I did, God's done with me. But God appears to Moses. And this is so important. This is a statement in time. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight as he approached to look more closely as God was calling to him from the burning bush. When Moses saw it. Can I ask you a question? When are you going to see it? When are you going to see it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When are we going to see that for us? We can see it for others, but when are we going to see it for us? And there was a point when Moses in time had to see it. And today is the day that God wants you to see it in your moment and in your time. And the voice called out from the burning bush and said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I love it. What a beautiful thing for God to say. He doesn't say, I am the God who has been around for 8 billion world, uh, years since the beginning. The Big Bang took place and the first hydrogen atom was, uh, you know, created. And, uh, no, he says, no, here's how I measure time. Here's how I measure time. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that guy Paul and West Ashley and Ben and Jeremy, and Chris, and Ricky, and Susan, and Stacy, and Suzanne, and Mandy. It's like, no, that's how I measure time. I measure it relationally. So where are you at in your relationship with God? Because that's where time gets controlled. That's where time gets fulfilled. That's where time gets summed up is in our relationship with God. And maybe you're here today and you think, well, it's gone. Listen to what God says to Moses. He said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people. I see what's going on in your life. I see your pain. I see your misery. I see your hurt. I see your illnesses. I see your deaths. I see your divorces. 
I see your struggles in your marriage. I see your mess ups. I see everything. He said, I have, I'm there. Maybe you didn't see it, but I am in time with you. He says, I have heard your groanings and I have come down to rescue you. He says to Moses, and Moses just like flabbergasted. And he's just like, hey, I'm donezo. I'm 80 years old. I'm a screw up. I'm a wanted man. I don't have any more contacts anymore in Egypt. Everybody's forgotten about me. I've forgotten the language. I'm no good. Nobody's gonna, I tried doing your work, but I failed doing it. God puts his arm around him and said, hey, come on. I'm gonna send you back. I'm gonna go with you and I'm gonna send you back. Because now at 80, you're exactly the kind of person I can use. At 40, the world would have used you, but I couldn't touch you. At 80, you lost all that pizzazz. You've gotten bald, a little shorter, a little less affluent. It's like, you're exactly the kind of person I can use. When I think of the three floods that have affected Crosstown, I remember the first flood really pissed me off. I said it, sorry, it's out there. But it did. Because as a young man, well, I guess I was in my 50s, but I was still in my own head, Mr. Marvelous. Um, I'm like, how dare God waste a man like me? I should be writing books. I should be like replacing somebody at some big church someplace in America. I should be speaking at conferences and I got to be the friggin' pastor of a church that floods. And God's like, oh, oh, that's so good. That's so good. That's so good. Oh, you have no idea because next year on the exact same date, you're going to flood again. <laughs> and then, oh, no, 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 that's not enough. The year after, you're going to flood again. And it's like, and maybe just about that time, I might be able to use you. That's why our slogan is watermarked by hope. It's like God can use a person whose life has been watermarked by failure, disaster, weakness, brokenness. It's like, oh yeah, you've been watermarked, but I can, I can give hope in the middle of that kind of life. You think America's over because of COVID? You think America's over because of what we've seen happen sociologically? America's been exposed in the last two years, hasn't it? But if we're willing to look, at that time Moses was born, that deliverance is always born in the hour of our exposure. If we are willing to turn aside and see it, you think your marriage is over? It's pretty much over? It's like, it's only over if you say it's over. But God might have a total different thing. That buoy comes floating down in the water in your hour of need, and all of a sudden the promise of God unfolds into your life. Yeah, but everybody knows. So what? You're all broken. Do you, think I'm, do you think I look at you guys and I say, oh, look at that, they're amazing. 
They're running corporations. They're making big bucks. They drove in with this car and all that. I used to think that way. I used to think about how are you going to make me famous? Not anymore. I see you walk in just like I walk in the doors, broken, needy, hopeful, messed up on one side, becoming something new on the other side, maybe rejected by others, but received by God. Yeah, that's the story. That's the fullness of time. So your life is not over. God is not done with you. God moves in time. God has a plan for time. God has timing for the plan in time. And God has a call for us to follow. Moses had to take time to see it. Moses didn't stop God from using him. The breakup of his family may be like yours. The immersion into a broken culture, just like yours. The crime of killing another man or creating, committing some immorality may be just like yours. Moses' age was not a limiting factor. He was running at 40. He was ruling at 80. God took a man with a past and transformed his life to create a new future. So, in the time spoken words of the book of Hebrews, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. This is your time. Fathers, we enter into this moment this is not just some random moment. This is the administration of the fullness of time that all of life is summed up in Christ. And you have already created a way, a path for our redemption before we even discovered that we needed it. But today, we've been exposed. But not to our shame, not to our rejection, but through Christ to the result of our inclusion and our empowerment and our preservation. So as we take the bread and the cup that represent a real body and real blood that was shed in time, representing the will of God before all time, we take it realizing that our time is in your hands and your hands are full of kind intention towards each and every one of us. If we will stop in this moment to be with you and to let you love us.